Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucking odds? What the fuck, Nicks? How are you? It's Mark Marin. This is WTF. I am back in Los Angeles. I am back in the garage at the Cat Ranch doing my show. Just got back from New York City today, about an hour ago. I'm emotionally exhausted. I'm physically exhausted. I didn't get sick by some miracle of adrenaline and panic. The CD tapings were spectacular, and I can't thank you enough for coming out to Union Hall in Brooklyn to be part of that. We had great shows. They were interesting shows. Not one of the shows was less than an hour and a half, which means I've got to trim off like... God, I don't know, 40 minutes or else do a double disc. I don't know what's going to happen. We're going to try to put it together as soon as possible before I start thinking twice about it. Obviously, there's some things that I was sitting on the plane thinking, ah, fuck, why didn't I, how come I couldn't, why didn't I, what am I, an idiot? Why did I say that twice? But I think it would have been that way either way. But I certainly appreciate all you what the fuck people coming out and hanging out. It's nice meeting you. Thank you for the presents. Got some nice gifts. I got some chocolates. I got some cookies. I got some soap. Uh, I got a Parmesan cheese grater. I have got the greatest fans in the fucking world. Thoughtful gifts. You know, it'd be easy if I were Doug Benson and you could just bring me weed or weed-related merchandise. But you know, there's more to Doug Benson than just weed, and you will find that out because we're going to talk to Doug uh, in just a few minutes. Doug Benson on the show. And I know some of you know him, some of you don't. Those of you who don't know him, you're going to meet Doug. And, and quite honestly, it was sort of like me meeting Doug. I've known Doug a lot of years, but not unlike many of the uh, guests I have here in the garage. I, I, I really didn't know much about Doug. And he was one of those guys where I'm like, what's going on in there? What's going on in the Benson head? I want to know what's up in the Benson head. So I flew back today. I was on the plane. I got upgraded to business class. And uh, yeah, I had some ice cream. I did. Uh, yeah, I chose not to get a personal viewer. So I watched the guy's viewer over my shoulder. I watched, I believe it was Salt for a while with Angelina Jolie. The best I could figure was she played in an angry, bloody Houdini-like character. Is if I don't know if I'm mistaken about that. I also watched on the main screen uh, Eat, Pray, Love uh, with uh, no sound. And the best I could figure, it seemed like a a uh, a very uh, lyrical and, uh, and uh, visually stunning uh, New Age odyssey into the heart of stupid. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but that was my take without sound. The great thing about watching movies without sound is you can sort of make them funny if you'd like. You can add your own dialogue. Uh, you can see things as funny. I think most, but I, yeah, honestly, I, I'd go as far to say that most things might be better without sound. You just have to pay attention more and it leaves more to the imagination. I did have a interesting experience in New York City uh, that I talked about a bit on stage because I was exhausted. I don't know if you know that. Well, of course you do. That feeling of being mentally and emotionally exhausted. I was on the verge of sickness. I was running on pure cortisol and adrenaline. Uh, you know, in, in complete survival mode, I was tweaked. It felt like I, had, I was coming down from an acid trip, uh, that weird feeling where things are vibrating or around the edges and, and uh, you're not sure what's real and you're jittery and, and you think you're, you're sweating chemicals or toxins. Well, that wasn't the case, but that did happen on certain drugs. But I got into an elevator in the uh, building where my manager has her office. And in the elevator was a man. It was just me and a man who looked exactly exactly like Spalding Gray. And I don't know if it was because I was exhausted or a little out of my mind. My first thought was not, that can't be Spalding Gray. Uh, he committed suicide a few years back. No, my first thought was, ah, you pulled it off. You pulled it off, buddy. Our, my lips are sealed. Your secret's good with me. Good for you. Good for you getting out. I'm looking forward to the show. All right, you take care. Good job. I felt like McMurphy in Cuckoo's Nest. You fooled him, chief. That happened to me. It was a very interesting trip. It was a bit of an awkward trip. I rented a place in Brooklyn, in on the west side of Brooklyn, on Prospect Park. It was recommended by uh, a fan. It was basically a basement apartment in a woman's building. And uh, it was just very interesting. It, it had a unique theme to it. It was sort of, you know, when bed and, bre bed and breakfasts are sort of intrusive because you have to deal with other people. But when you rent a place in someone's house, 
It was its own apartment, but it had its own decor. It had her idea of what uh, chic or, or what would be, but it was you know, very Americana. But I don't know if it was on purpose. You know, she gave me the keys and you know, and she said that the idea is there's three doors and these, uh, you know, the each key the, the, is red, white, and blue. But the keys were, were clearly uh, sort of pink, yellow, and a bluish color. But nonetheless, the theme was red, white, and blue. I get in there. There's a small shrine to the, the, the fallen firefighters of 9-11. It was just interesting to be in another person's life, even though I was renting the apartment. Uh, and, and then it was odd because the heat kept going on at weird times and not enough heat. So I felt like I was being in some sort of timer oven. And, and then like when I called her, I didn't know what the proximity to me and her life was. And then I called to see if I could get more heat. And I, I called on my cell phone and I heard her phone ringing above. So I don't know how much surveillance I was under. I hope I cleaned up and I hope I behaved properly. I don't have a lot to share with you right now because I'm, I'm, I'm drained. And uh, I would like to just uh, talk to Doug Benson, if that's okay with you. But again, thank you so much for coming out to the show. It was very, it, I was very grateful. Uh, it was very humbling to know that people actually like me and tolerate me and are now coming to clubs to see me. And, and, and actually, if I can uh, drop some names, uh, Ira Glass uh, came to uh, the last performance with his wife, and uh, it was a pleasure. But I'll tell you one thing, knowing Ira Glass was in the room, uh, it, there was a lot of pressure in my mind to try to be as smart and funny as possible because at that moment, I didn't think I was smart and funny. So I said things on stage like, is that the proper word usage? Which is not, you know, you don't need to be saying that on stage, really. All right, let's talk to Doug Benson. Let's let's get underneath the cloud of smoke that most people think defines Doug Benson and and, and see if we can get, uh, we can talk about other stuff. I, I'm just curious about his life. I, I really don't know about him. As a comedian and as a uh, um, human, human, I complain quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> now, how, how does Doug Benson express infuriation? Because I, I sense it'd be just something like you just did. Hey, uh, could you not do that? Or... Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> but I think that I think it's when you're hanging out with other comics, that's all you do. But it, you do it in a way that you're entertaining each other, or at least. Um, you know, agreeing with one another. Yeah. You know, like, oh, this club was so terrible. But what was terrible about it doesn't match what's going on in Darfur or any of the other impoverished, horrible situations in the world. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you just get mad. You get mad because it's your situation. And depends. it's like your shitty condo that you have to stay in or whatever. <laughs> depends where you're playing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've never been to a condo where there are like, you know, starving, bloated kids around or... <laughs> Or yeah, like. and you still complain about it. Yeah, it's it's all relative, I guess. I I haven't complained about. I try not to complain much about anything lately. But I did a gig where now let me honestly let me ask you honestly when you do shows. I mean, you're on the road, fucking what, like three or four days a week? Yeah, generally, I'm trying to dial it back a little. Um, I'm trying to also stop saying dial it back. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm gonna be. In in 20, 2011, I'm not going to go, I'm going to do shorter runs, you know, like just do a couple cities one night each and then come home. Yeah. Uh, but as it stands right now, I've been doing comedy clubs most weekends. Like this weekend, I'm going to be in, in Dallas, Texas. Four shows? Uh, yeah, two Friday, two Saturday. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't like two show nights. Why? Too, it's just too I exhausting. I just like to do one and be done with it. Now, are you really, now, are you finding that you're selling out everywhere? I mean, is it really happening? It's the you know it's good, but you know between the recession and um, my crowd being a little flaky because they don't you know especially that's what I don't like about comedy clubs on Fridays and Saturdays is that the uh, stoner crowd just goes oh that seems like a hassle because it's always it's always a comedy club in a mall and there's more than one show and there's a drink minimum you know and it's just, they've already been like oh, I'm uh, tired it's already like oh why bother. <laughs> You know, why don't you know that I get messages on Twitter all the time. Why don't you play my you know, house? This this cool place. Or yeah, my living room. What's wrong with doing a show in my living room? Just come over, dude. Yeah. I mean, if I could do it, I think people would be a lot more satisfied with my performances if they just paid me a few bucks and I came and hung out with them in a smoking circle. Like if I could just travel around doing that. 
just being a guy who shows I'll show up and smoke with you. <laughs> you ball, give, you me give me a few dollars. bucks. <laughs> See you later, you guys. Yeah, and it's much easier to entertain in the smoking circle because everyone's high instead of just some of the people. There's I guess no that, drunks. There's no drunks in the smoking circle. Usually. Do you, how about in your crowds? I mean, do you find that, like I'm finding now, but I, I, we, we're certainly, it seems like we're, we're running in different circles to some degree that the more, like the people that I'm drawing Literally, like they they get surprised when there's drunk assholes in a crowd. Like like, what is that guy doing here? Yeah, and they yeah. apologize for their town. Yeah, like exactly. They, like they think that's the only place where people get drunk. <laughs> like that's the problem with the whole comedy club setup. I like uh, a place where drinking is more more optional. Like almost like you have to go out of your way to get a drink. Right. You know, like you have to go to the bar. I'd rather just do small two hundred seat black box theaters for the rest of my life. Yeah, and let him let him sell some beers in the lobby. Let him make that money. But right. Like the whole idea of the two drink minimum. Yeah. You just get a lot of people that, you know, they're out, they're excited, and they get two for their two drinks they get long island iced teas or something and then they're hammered by the time the headliner comes on on oh, the fucking obnoxious i've had in this in the past year i've had at least on three occasions someone while they're being thrown out yelling you know the show's going on they're being thrown out and they yell i'm your biggest fan yeah <laughs> and it's just like yeah you're my most <laughs> fucked up fan right now and you're ruining it for everybody <laughs> thanks for coming biggest fan yeah get them the fuck out of here and it's like the, it's so terrible having to throw out somebody that really really loves you and just got just overdid it they didn't play that plan their night correctly right <laughs> they didn't pace themselves mm -hmm. well I, yeah i had a guy that came up with, with his brother or something or his cousin in new york at a live wtf taping they said they love the show and they were like up in my face excited to be there and the the guy he brought his brother or his cousin I, the the show's unusable he 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 fucking pissed Lewis Black off so much that and I had Rich Voss and Bonnie McFarlane on and the whole thing just went down the crapper it was a lighthouse and this guy just like started mocking Lewis like you know how Lewis does his hands like yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. the guy just started going nah, 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 like mimicking him which is probably the worst thing you can do to anybody this guy was an audience member yeah <laughs> it was a fucking nightmare <laughs> So I want to put Doug Benson into context because I was trying to think like, you know, I knew you were coming over and, and I know you don't uh, have uh, these kind of conversations. Like, I don't know that we've ever talked for a long period of time and I'm not going to bring up the, the story about the blender. I'm not going to bring it up again. But I do want to try to figure out when the fuck I first met you because I remember what I do remember is you had uh, you, you look the same almost exactly, except you had like Charles Nelson Riley glasses. Didn't, didn't you have very big... Yeah, I used to have big glasses and, and different colored frames, like purple and red, and it was ridiculous. You did that thing for a while. But so that, stupid. But that was like 1989, 1990. I remember, I remember the Santa Monica Improv, uh, that, and you were sort of like... I don't know if anyone really puts you into, into, into a generational context, but you started in L.A. with Spade. Right, or Spade started in, 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 in Arizona, but you guys were buddies, weren't you? I, mean, I, I saw him around. I knew him. Oh. Like a, a friend, a good buddy of mine was pretty close with Spade at that time. So I knew who he was and saw him around. And, and you know, and to this day when I see him, he says hi. But, uh, we, we, you know, we've never been super close. But didn't, weren't you guys starting out around the same time? I mean, who was in the crew here? Because yeah, very kind of. The, the, I fell into the, the whole kind of San Francisco scene pretty quickly uh, with the, um, you know, Greg Barrett and... Uh, so when I was there, like 91, 92, I got Laura there? Laura Milligan and Margaret Cho and... Ebby Parker. All that gang. Yeah, yeah and uh, right. And then me, Blaine, and Patton showed up. And you were mm -hmm. up there a lot. The first time Blaine and Patton showed up, it was so funny to me because they were like, it was like a kind of like uh, villains or something walked in because they, they look so funny together. Yeah. One short round one and one tall skinny one. You know, they look like uh, characters out of a rolled doll book or something. Yeah. And uh, they'd come from where? Where did they Baltimore. come from? Baltimore. And they, uh, they, you know. I quickly learned they were super nice guys, and I've been friends with them ever since. But at first, they were just kind of like, who are these guys? Because yeah. they were both very cocky yeah. and you know, and actually really funny. Right. But in a way that was just kind of like, whoa, what's this about? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Barrett, the first time I met him, he was wearing like a headband. And, oh, uh, yeah, dude, he with his, the muscles. And... He had his crazy eye, and in just like he just really- uh, had cut an intimidating figure. Right. And the first time I saw him, he came up to me and was like, we're doing the same joke. 
Right. I'm like, what? And then he proceeded to be very nice about it, but it was very confrontational at first. And it was just about how we both had a joke about, uh, you know, my girlfriend complains that I'm smothering her, or at least that's what it sounds like from underneath the pillow or something like that. That was the joke? That was the joke. It was just like smothering. Yeah, like, yeah. wow, really, hu- yeah. really hard to get to that punchline <laughs> once you've said you're smothering me. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, but he was he was super cool about it. And then, then we became friends and we had lots of uh, crazy road experiences together. But I sort of I I the the San Francisco area used to have like five or six clubs in the suburbs around it that you could work for a full weekend, and then San Francisco itself had the Improv, the Punchline, and Cobbs. Oh, that's right. So between all of those, I was going up to San Francisco for about a week out of every month for for several years. What you did, Tommy T's, Roosters. Mm-hmm. Or uh, and then there were, did you ever do those gigs like out like the Sunshine Saloon? <laughs> yes, and they oh, had uh, where was that like Stockton um, or I can't remember where. Yeah, there was a couple Sunshine Saloon things I think, and then there was like Rooster Teeth Feathers. That's it. That's, that's still, still that's good. still going, and it's I like good doing room. it. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm going up there in, in uh, February or whenever. Yeah. It's a nice little room. I always have fun there. That Sunshine Saloon, I still remember it, man. It's a small bar, right? Yeah. Is, am I thinking about the right place? Probably, Did yeah. You ever do like that? it's a weird like. Is, uh, there used to be a lot of gigs like that where they would just put a microphone in a corner somewhere yeah. and there's barely any lighting or the worst. Did you ever do the UC Davis that gig? You remember that gig, University of California Davis? It was in a huge bar. I don't think so. Oh, I had a bad night there one night. I decided to uh, that I needed to uh, to take um, to clean out my body like in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. So I drank this herb tea uh, of this stuff. Like I think it was called Cascara, Cascara Sagrada or something. It was a natural laxative or something, but I didn't know the dosage. So I drank it like you know the afternoon I did the show and literally had to. I had to stop my show to go have explosive shit. Really, and then get back on again. The MC just stalled for a while. Yeah, I told him to come back up. I'm in trouble. And, uh, and <laughs> that's fantastic. Have you ever had that happen? I have never. No, I've never had to leave the stage to go to the bathroom or for for any reason other than I've left the stage on several occasions to actually go into the crowd and yell at someone for being obnoxious. Like I've actually, you know, you yelled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get really mad. I get I really mad when people won't shut up, and then the and the people running the club won't get them to or won't take them out. So I'll I'll take matters into my own hands sometimes. Sometimes and it gets scary because I'm like way too ballsy with like big drunk dudes. Oh yeah, and I, yeah, I, I know that feeling. But I can't I cannot I cannot imagine what a Doug Benson crowd must feel when when uh, Doug gets angry. I, I really have to assume that given the state <laughs> they're in, they must be like, oh no, it's an interesting. <laughs> It's an interesting dynamic. They all, it gets very quiet. Like that's what I hate. Whenever somebody gets thrown out for some reason, yeah, I hate that few minutes of where you're you have to just keep going with your act, but you know no one's thinking about anything other than what just happened. Do you ever feel like you pushed out? Um, like sometimes when they throw them out, I feel like I have not done my job. Oh yeah, I mean I, when people say if you can't handle a heckler, you're not a good comic. That to me, that's ridiculous because some of the best comics ever w- would never be good at hand- handling. No, that's true. Hecklers, that's they, true. Like a Maria Bamford doesn't handle hecklers, and there's hardly anybody funnier than her. But when they come to shut a guy up, that's right in the front fucking row. There's part of me that's like, oh, now I just look like a bitch. Oh no, I, I get involved. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I don't be. A bi- I try not to be a bitch about it. I try to be like, hey, dude, you know. I, and I also, I always explain to the audience, this person probably had too much to drink. They're probably a perfect perfectly nice person normally but now they're being a douchebag and they gotta go because they're ruining it for all the especially nowadays people pay a lot of money to come see a show like that yeah and to have some guy guy or girl just randomly yelling shit and ruining it yeah it's like it's they people thank you after no absolutely you know? yeah 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 and i meet everyone at all of my shows i don't ever split after my shows Me neither. so sometimes it's like an hour of hanging out but i i really think that people deserve that because Oh yeah, and you don't you don't get that normally. You go see the he- headliner these days. It's always somebody gets shuttled away after it's over, and it's like the the meeting and the meeting the person's a lot more fun than seeing their show. If they're a fan, they've already probably heard a lot of the jokes. You oh know? yeah, I'll I'll lounge around before the show. Sometimes I'll get up on stage before the show starts. <laughs> and just I've <laughs> never I can't I don't do much before the show stuff because I just have this like uh, theater thing in my mind yeah. that like you, the first time they see you should be when you walk out yeah, and start yeah. your act. You know, yeah, that's probably good. I mean, I think that's a classic way of approaching it. But, but like, it is nice to go chat with people ahead of time too, though. But I went and did a gig in Pontiac, Michigan, where it was upstairs at a rock club. And I got there and it was like 30 miles outside of Detroit and the place like the where it was at looked like a ghost town 
because it was night and there were people outside. The place wasn't open. They were huddled together. And I had to get there and huddle with them and try to figure out how the fuck to get in the venue. And then I literally was standing on line with my audience to get into the venue. And I'm like, I don't have to stand here. And I walked up and then there were no chairs set up. So I'm literally setting up the room with my audience. And then I got on stage. That's awesome. Well, it was a little awkward, but it worked out, you know? They were sweet people. You know, they have a story. Oh, yeah. You know? It was nice. I mean, but especially they, if you die young. Yeah. They're like, yeah. hey, wait a minute. <laughs> that guy was great. We set up chairs with him at his own show. <laughs> he's now really he's cool. gone. Oh. oh. Now, do you, but like when you do a bad show, though, do you ever get that? Would you know when, when, do you, do you still suck sometimes or no? I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I my it's whole thing steady. is not trying very hard. Right. You know, so I've set the bar so low. But you do, but I mean, you, you do, that is your act. But do you ever walk off yeah. and go, I don't know if I want to socialize this one? Well, yeah, sometimes, especially if there's some people that were a problem that never got thrown out and it just sort of got resolved by me insulting them or something. Right. Because I always feel, I, I never like having that conversation afterwards, you know? <laughs> I, I don't want to talk. I don't really, the, the, that's the thing about the, the drunk people really gets to me. Like, yeah. Because they're so hard to, uh, you know, you can't really wrap it up with them. <laughs> you know, like if somebody's super stoned, you could just be like, hey, man, you know, give me a second. I'm talking to this other person. And yeah. they, they're usually pretty respectful, but drunks. No, the worst. They don't know. Now, when you, you, I can't, like, I don't know many people that grew up here. So where did you grow up in the, in this area? I grew up in San Diego. Oh, okay. And then, uh, but just, you know, as soon as I was, you know, after a few years of junior college, I realized that I don't really need school to junior college that's a two-year college business right yeah Yeah, junior college but you knew you wanted to go into comedy after you got out of high school Mm -mm, no i I had no idea i was a huge fan of comedy who were your guys uh you know carlin and and when i was little i listened to bill cosby a lot and um steve martin and then when i was in high school and college i just uh, stayed up and watched letterman every single night i loved that guy from the from the get-go oh yeah me too and you must have been there you're you're my age right yeah roughly so we started we saw it from the beginning like i remember it from like i used to be in college you know stoned and like wait up to watch him i mean i remember being with girlfriends going we gotta watch letterman you know at 12 30 yeah i think i watched the first saturday night live because george carlin was the guest host we were younger then. I was like twelve or thirteen, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, I but I stayed up every every Saturday night. You know, Me I'd too, often yeah. fall asleep before it was over, but I Who tried, your... tried to stay up. Did you... now? I'll admit to being a Chevy Chase fan. When yeah, I was a yeah. Kid. I oh thought he was God. hilarious. He was the best. I had the Saturday Night Live album that they put out. Yeah, I had that too with the I... purple goo uh, title. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I listened to it over and over again. I mean, it's a fun album to listen to because there's a lot of music on. Yeah. every song parody they did was on there. Do you ever listen to it recently? No, but I bet you I'd enjoy it. I, I I used to be one of those things, you know, teenagers, you always have things that you repeat with your friends yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah. My friends used to say, painful rectal itch yeah, yeah. all the time from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With a name like Smuckers, mm. it has to be good. Yeah, I, I remember that shit too. Were you a stoner in high school? No, no, I didn't. That's the thing is I didn't really discover pot until I was started doing road comedy in, in San Francisco specifically. It was the week that I was, I was the feature act. Brian Posehn was the opener and Greg Proops was the headliner. Oh my punchline! I just got high at here. Punchline in Walnut Creek. <laughs> oh and, yeah, uh, and yeah. So we they would we would drive out there every night and do the show and get crazy baked in the green room or, or with outside Greg's or pot? whatever. With Greg, Greg or Brian's because yeah. I was for the first five six years I smoked pot. I was just a mooch. I only smoked when other people had it. How old were you, man? Uh, I guess my first time I really, I, I tried it once and once or twice in high school, but the, the real one time in high school, but the real getting into it and smoking all the time wasn't until I was 28 years old. That's amazing. It's like people who start smoking cigarettes late, but I can't, I think smoking pot's better. I mean, I can't begrudge you for that. You right, kinda, right, right, right. It was a gift. It was literally a, a, a natural God given gift to you and your career. Well, yeah, but I didn't, uh, you know, I certainly didn't, uh, it just sort of, seeped into things because stand-up became more and more about just getting up and and talking from your own point of view right and not necessarily trying to put on an act or just write all jokes you know i kind of remember you being like more joke like heavy oh yeah when you were younger but it's so weird to me though so when you're in high school when you smoked pot were you like fuck this shit this freaked me out or were you not a drinking guy were you like did you come from a conservative family a lot of questions well, you know, my parents uh, sm- smoked cigarettes quite a bit. Like, you know, let's drive to Arizona with the air conditioning on and the windows up and, and both my parents smoking the entire way. On a like, camping trip? Like my mom smoked, you know, while she was pregnant with me. Yeah. 
and, uh, and look at how I turned out. But then, so I never got into cigarette smoking, uh, but they also were never, you know, I had the older brother that did, you know, pretty much everything by the book wrong. How much older? You know, three years. Oh, so he took the So hits. he got into all the trouble and I was just the angel because I was nerdier than him, you know, so I was just more into just staying at home and like, like I didn't move out of my parents' house until I moved to LA. So I was like 22 when I finally moved out of the house because I lived in like the downstairs of my parents' two-story house. Shag so I like, I like had my own apartment downstairs. I had girlfriends come stay over and stuff while well, my you parents were sleeping upstairs. Yeah, my own two doors, a door to get into the area where my room was and then a bathroom and a room all to myself. So you were set up to party, but you didn't. And my mom would come in and clean the room every day. It was like living in a hotel. <laughs> and where was your brother's room? Uh, well, he had moved out by that point. When What's I, his when name? When I was in Hal. 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 He lives in Seattle now. I'm going to see Benson? him in a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. Did he straighten up? Well, yeah. I mean, he was never that bad. He just, you know, he just he just got into a lot of situations that were, you know, the kind of stuff that, uh, you know, I, never happened to me, you know? Like, yeah. Like, he was on the football team, and he was a surfer, and he had a, you know, a Mustang that he was always working on in the garage. Oh, yeah. You know, he, he you know, when I, my first year of high school, yeah. he was a senior and I was a freshman, and I didn't get hazed or hassled that much because he was- Watching he out was, for you? He was this big guy in the football team, you know? And I didn't have to run to him or use his name or anything. Right. It was just- just people just knew, you know, that like, you were that you were Benson's brother. That's his brother. And, yeah, you know, why would I, why would I get involved with that? <laughs> did they, did the jocks? Were you like some sort of like uh, mascot to the like? There well, that is, was is. the worst thing is that my brother's friends would would come over and like you know <laughs> suffocate me underneath the beanbag chair in the living room and <laughs> shit like that. But I was I was definitely you know I was I was definitely not athletic in high school, and so that's what kind of pushed me towards the the arts. And then you, you moved. Know, to, yeah, you making moved people to, laugh was a way to get attention. That's so funny because I was an older brother. Now I'm trying. Now I see you as a younger brother, which is a whole different set of affairs. It's a whole different fucking thing. Yeah, younger brother, but also kind of uh, almost like a single child because my brother, you know, he flew the coop at like 18. Had enough. And then I had like you know five six years of being the only child. Did you did you did it, did he at least have good records and shit? I mean, was there anything that you were able to glean from you know the you know. <laughs> Like, did he turn you on to anything? That... Well, he was cool. You know, he put a eight track stereo in my car for me. <laughs> you know, and uh, we just didn't we just didn't have the same interests. Yeah, you know. But now, as adults, he's crazy about me. Like, yeah, he, he comes to see anytime I do a show anywhere near the Seattle area. He comes. Uh -huh. Does he have a family? Or... Yeah, yeah. He's got a wife and two kids and Uncle Doug. One of his daughters, one of my nieces, is getting married uh, next March to uh, the drummer in a Christian metal band. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm um, I'm definitely scheduling some road work around that wedding. Is your so brother Christiany? No, 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 no. And the, and the band's not that Christiany either, as, as, I, as I've just, been told. That's their angle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, <laughs> they're going after the Jesus kids. I, I don't want to screw up their name, but I think they're called Zombie Hunter. I think, <laughs> which which could be I don't know. Jesus was kind of a zombie, wasn't he? Yeah, but you know they're like. I think that the Christian part of it is just that, like, that's that, that they are Christians, but they're not, they don't push a, any kind of Chris, Christian beliefs through their music. Right. You know, so they're only a Christian metal band in the sense that they're all, you know, they, yeah. all, they all believe in God or whatever. Now, when I, I fucking, like, I'm just trying to remember, there were just these, like, I have these fragments of, of my own past that mix with yours. Like, I remember you were around. Like there was a crew that sort of hung out in L.A. When I got you know tangled up with Stacy Nelson, mm -hmm. the, the the crazy publicist. Yeah, she was roommates with Dana Gould, right, for a while in right. a house in Hollywood. Yeah, that house. And we'd hang out there a lot. That was before the the Dave Rath house came along. That's right. It was where this, we spent even more time. And she had that other roommate, that girl too. You know, I it was all kind of crazy. I remember. That it, I got into a lot of trouble with that, but there was a big party at that house. I remember Apatow was there and Stiller and all those guys. What they all seemed to be of our generation. They seemed to be around at that time. Yeah, and well, I, I hung out a lot with Janine and with uh, David Cross. Right, right. And then the Rath House and the Ackerman and all that shit. It was like this whole kind of crowd of comedians who who live in L.A. but weren't from L.A. We all kind of came from other places and and gravitated. Yeah, towards each other, just because we all had to live in L.A. for you know, I, I would have certainly rather lived in San Francisco, but I, you know, my career was already I was already getting work, stuff on TV, so it was like 
LA is the place where you have to. What were the first live. TV ones? Evening at the Improv. I know you guys. You I did Evening at the Improv like six times. I know you guys treated it like it was just a gig. Like I remember when I came out here for my first Evening at the Improv '89. It was the most exciting thing I, I, I I'd ever done up to that point. And you guys were walking in and out like who was your celebrity guest host? It was uh, the jazz singer Nancy Brown, and then uh, I think it, her name was, and then the other one was the mother from the Wonder Years. Oh yeah, 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 blonde lady. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Both of them fucked up my name, and they had to reshoot it. Like uh, I did it once in '89 and once in '91. Why? Who'd you have? Well, I couldn't. I I did it six times. I, I know Jack Hay was the host one time. Yeah. And um and the 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 black bailiff from Night Court, I think, was Charlie Robinson. I think he hosted one. The dad from Major Dad hosted one. I think. But you guys treated it like it was just another night. Like I remember you guys because well, we were used to doing sets. At, you know, they taped it either at the Improv in Hollywood or the one in Santa Monica, and we were used to doing sets there and stuff. That Santa Monica one was huge. I Janine was Janine was also there was I think it was her first evening of the Improv that we were both on. Yeah, I think that was with Jack Hay, and then because um, they got pretty big names to host then, then it got worse and worse. <laughs> Jack Hay used to be a big name, but uh, uh, Sarah Silverman's first evening at the Improv, I went with her and hung out with her. Backstage, like ninety two, ninety one. Yeah, I guess so. I'm terrible with years. I don't. Yeah, I don't really compartmentalize. Well, what were your first TV jobs? Because I remember, like, I, you were always working. I never quite understood how people in in LA made a living. Uh, you know, because I didn't. I didn't live here. I went from New York to San Francisco. I avoided Los Angeles until two thousand and one, two, two thousand and two was the first time I lived here after I, I left from the comedy store when I was a kid. Right. So, like, I, I always knew that everyone seemed to be doing things. I knew you were doing stand-up, but didn't, weren't you involved with a lot of shows? Yeah, I, I worked on, uh, you know, uh, some MTV things. Yeah. Brian Posehn and I used to, ha- used to be, like, a team. We worked for MTV for a while, and then we worked for Disney for a while. Like, you know, just trying to create shows. And, yeah. And, and, and I, I bopped around a lot, writing for a lot of different silly game shows and Really? Yeah. Like, yeah, what, I had you, a lot of weird writing jobs. Like, like, just was that what kind of what kind of writing was that? Was it joke writing? Yeah, jokey questions for a game show. Like, I wrote on a thing called Rodeo Drive, where all the questions had like celebrity gossip weaved into them, and then a thing with uh, with Wink Martindale called Debt. Yeah, that was kind of like a. <laughs> Did you hang out with Wink? It was kind of like Jeopardy. Uh, <laughs> didn't really hang out with Wink. You know, got to watch him tape the show or whatever. He was very professional. <laughs> <laughs> he seemed like that. Those kind of guys are always weird when you meet them because they almost seem plastic. Yeah, and they and they don't really they don't they don't dial it down. <laughs> I said it again. They don't turn it off when they aren't being a host. They're still like, "Hi, I'm Wink." I know. You know, right? like yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. still it's still very <laughs> like a living Ken doll. So you're able to make a living doing that because I like what always surprised well, me. I stretched. I got by. You know, for the first you know. Six seven years I lived in L.A. I always had a, a roommate or two. Who were and, they? And uh, none of them really amounted to much of anything. But at the time, were they comics? <laughs> uh, no, my oh. first two roommates were kind of a producer type guy who went on to he did go on to produce Xena uh, Warrior Princess in uh, New Zealand or wherever it was they shot that. <laughs> and um, the other roommate, his, he, he, it was funny, I like moved in to this uh, this apartment where there was two bedrooms. In and, Hollywood? Uh, yeah, in Hollywood, and a futon uh, in the living room. Uh-huh. And I slept on the futon and paid like 250 bucks a month or something for the privilege of doing that. But it was a really nice building with like racquetball courts and a pool. So it was like, you know, when I was out of work, it was at least it was like also being on vacation. Yeah. And, um, but the one of the roommates was this guy, Rob Stone, who just shortly after I moved in, got a pilot and then a series. He played the uh, oldest son on Mr. Belvedere. <laughs> so suddenly, you know, I'm my roommate is this is like a TV star, you yeah. know, certainly from my perspective, he, yeah. he'd really made it big, yeah. you know. And um and you know and all the problems that he had were all so uh, so minor compared to you know me scraping together enough money to sleep on his futon, <laughs> and um it didn't take long after you know but it, it took long enough. I, if I were him, I would have kicked me out the second I got the job. You don't you don't need a third roommate yeah on the couch when yeah. you when you have a TV show. But he <laughs> he let me stick around for a few seasons yeah uh, or a, like a year and a did half. You, did you go to the set and shit? Yeah, went to the tapings every week. <laughs> What, just to eat? One time I sat next to Alyssa Milano. It was like the greatest day of my life, even though she was, you know, 
four or five years younger than me and and uh i couldn't really you know make a move or anything i was still very excited to be uh hanging out next to her and making her laugh while we were watching the horrible whoever the horrible warm-up comic was when i was when i was in high school and uh college and then the first few years years i lived in la i used to go to tv show tapings a lot and so i i used to see uh saget and um who are some of the other guys? Like, like lots of guys that are pretty big comics. I used to see them do warm up. Oh, really? Like Saget did the warm up for Mork and Mindy. Really? Yeah, and I thought he was hilarious because he's just, all he did was fuck with the crowd and do his thing. You know, he didn't say anything really dirty, but he would be kind of risque in a way that you'd be like titillated by because you're sitting at a taping of Mork and Mindy. You went to Mork and Mindy taping? Yeah, I, I saw tons of sitcoms from the, around that time. I would go to the taping. You would just sign up. How did that work? You get online? Yeah, like, or... well, like from San Diego, I just get in some sort of tour bus. Yeah, that, that was like we're going to Three's Company or and like high school. Really, that used to be a high school thing. They would take us to see TV show tapings. Like, you know, so you saw Mork and Mindy. Yeah. Now, did, now, do you have memories of how Robin behaved in between? Was he fucking around? Was he? I think it, you know. I just bought the whole thing. I just loved it. You yeah, know, I, I loved what it. Other everything that was see? happening because I loved that you know that show at that time. And and I remember Pam Dauber had like this tight pink sweater on. I thought she was amazing looking. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like one time for I think a high school we went up to see a taping of Three's Company, and there was some sort of booking mistake where there wasn't enough room for us in the studio, so yeah. they put us in another. Uh, studio yeah. and turn monitors on. So we essentially just watched, it was almost practically like just watching it on TV as a group, but we drove three hours from San Diego to do it. And But then afterwards, all the cast came over, and you know this was probably, Ritter was probably responsible for this, because yeah. every time, I, I ran into him like three times when he was alive, and every time he could not have been a nicer person, uh-huh. and uh, and and all in really weird circumstances. Whenever I'd run into him, but this first time, he and Suzanne Summers and Joyce Dewitt, they all came out and talked to us and answer, answered questions. <laughs> And it was just like a group of 20, 30 high school kids. Oh, my God. Like, so we, we yeah. almost got a better deal because we got a private audience with them. Yeah, yeah. But the thing none of us could get over is Suzanne Summer had, had the most nasty camel toe that I had ever experienced. Like, she was just wearing these really thin <laughs> silk kind of pants. Yeah. And they were just could not have been pulled up further into her, into her snatch. It was amazing. And everybody was where you And guys- mostly it was the girls that all pointed it out. Because yeah. the girls were more shocked by it than the, than the boys. And were you guys all looking at each other trying not to laugh? Like, we couldn't believe it. Oh, my. Yeah, like it was, that was it the was talk all- in the bus all the way home. And it was, it was like- all you could see, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think she even kind of laid down on the stage oh, in a really awkward no. way. Yeah, it was. So you it was saw Three's Company, you saw Mork and Minnie. So was that like in your one day at a time? I went to, and then, oh and then of course, a lot of shows that never, you know, that were that failed. Oh, Bosom Buddies! I went to Bosom Buddies once. Yeah, that was neat because I, I was totally into Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari, like from. You know, from the second that show came on, I was like fans of those guys. So this was like you really sort of came into show business, like thinking that was it. I mean, you know, outside of stand up, you, you you were almost like familiar with the way that shit worked. I mean, if you go to a taping, you get how it works. Yeah, well, I, I, I went to tapings a lot. And then I just all the different kinds of jobs that I did when I was struggling ended up being, you know, somewhat educational because I was uh, extra in a lot of stuff. Really? And then I was a stand in and a bunch of stuff. Like what? Like, <laughs> you just if, you know, if be- you know where to look, you can see me like in Blade Runner. That was one of the first ones I did. You could see me in uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, about last night, there's a scene where Jim Belushi and Rob Lowe are arguing in a bar, and then one of them, I think Rob Lowe, like leaves, but he kind of brushes past people. Uh-huh. Like that was my mo. If a, if a, if it was a crowd scene and an actor uh, was going to be super. Uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> super method about it yeah you know what i mean and yeah. not and, and like actually push you if you got in their way i would do that like, <laughs> like harrison ford had to push me out of the way a few times in blade runner and then uh rob Lowe brushed up against me in in about last night and i turned and look at him like what are you what's your problem <laughs> you, like really overacting you terrible would, you would get in their way on purpose <laughs> yeah yeah or you know i i'd know the i'd scope out the scene like in blade runner you know he's she's trying to find that the robot on the street and yeah. he's chasing her down the street yeah. and so like he was like if you could see if anybody got in his way he would grab them and throw them out of the way yeah and so me and my buddy that were both working on the movie we just uh got in his way whenever we could <laughs> and uh more than once oh yeah like because that was 
that became the thing. Like, well, we'll be in the movie probably. And it's funny, the shot of me that you see in the movie, I'm just walking along and Harrison Ford's like near me, yeah. but he doesn't touch me or anything. But, but, it was, but isn't there an issue with editing where if they keep seeing you in different scenes? Oh, well, that's, you know, like Jim Belushi, speaking of Jim Belushi, he went on Letterman one time and oh, showed I saw a that. clip I saw from that. The Fury. Yeah. Yeah. In The Fury, there's a scene on the beach where he keeps popping up in all sorts of different places because <laughs> he, you know, refused to, like, follow the rules and was just trying to get on camera. That's fucking hilarious. Yeah, but people don't notice extras generally, so... So what, you just signed up to be an extra? You just show up at casting? Yeah, I signed up with a bunch of different agencies, non-union, extra work. Most of the things I did, I got like $50 a day. I worked... You can't see me because it's like a big gymnasium scene, but I worked on Teen Wolf. Yeah. And just lots of the the classics. Yeah, that's fucking hilarious. Yeah, and then I started working as a uh, stand-in, and my first big stand-in job was I was Patrick Dempsey's stand-in on a movie while we were making it it was called the woo woo kid but then when it came out it was called in the mood and it was shot all in los angeles over like 90 days and there was um maybe like 114 locations it was a really ambitious uh movie and so and and he was in every scene there was only one scene he wasn't in and that scene i was an extra so i was just with a production from beginning to end yeah you know, a lot of it was pretty boring, but I still got to see a lot of how, you know, how things work. And uh, so it was pretty, you know, pretty educational. Now, when you, uh, but it's weird. And I haven't run into him in forever. I'd love to see Patrick Dempsey somewhere and go, hey, I was that squirrely kid that was your stand-in in that movie. Is it amazing how long he was, you know, going at it in show business mm-hmm. before he actually popped on that TV show? Like, I mean, he'd been around forever. I mean, yeah. I remember seeing him as a kid. It always baffles me. Like, I guess because, like, my career has taken a very slow, you know, arguably, I don't know if it's a an ascent, but whatever it is, you know, I've never, you know, popped open, you know, popped into any other level. You know, I'm certainly no star. But, you know, when you see these guys, like, even, I had no idea Ryan Gosling was like a a, a Disney kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, didn't, I had no idea. I, I had no idea about this. Like, there are people, like, it seems to me that you're poised for superstardom because of, uh, you know, how long he's been involved with the movie-making process. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, you know, that's the thing about Patrick Dempsey. He's, he's got some, even before he really popped with Grey's Anatomy, he had some things under his belt. Like, Can't Buy Me Love is kind of a, you know, teen classic or whatever. I can't, and, I'm trying to remember what I saw him. Was he not in, like, a... Was he in Bugsy Malone or something? No. That was no, no, that was, that was much much longer ago. It's a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. So now, now with the with Super Jaime, I mean that. Do you? I mean, I don't. I, I don't want to talk about. Yeah, I know you. You don't like to talk about it necessarily, in the sense that like you figured out what your angle is. You know, between the marijuana logs and and Super Jaime, do you ever feel like sort of like chained to it or imprisoned by it or, or upset about it or or do you you get tired of it? I think I'd. Uh, I think I'd feel more chained by it if I didn't. Find, you know find other things to do like right. like the like my podcast that it has very a- popular my my girlfriend fucking like she spent <laughs> like the entire day like every time she go she sits around listens compulsively to podcasts and and reads gossip and all day for two days she's like listen to Doug Bob's movies I'm like all right well okay what well, is it, it you know it's who doesn't like movies first of all so that's kind of a easy thing to get people to listen to you know and then no it's a great podcast and pe- but fucking then, people love it but then, yeah but once they, you know that's we get off subject sometimes but it's mostly about movies and i've i've loved movies my whole life in, in a you know kind of an obsessive nerdy way so it uh i found something that i can talk about like the stoners listen to it right and non-stoners alike you yeah. know because everybody likes movies and uh and i get great guests too yeah. You know, I'm lucky that I have lots of comedian friends and now I'm lucky that, you know, other people want to people do are it. starting to hear about it and say, oh, I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know? I'm getting a little of that too. It's kind of exciting. You're getting, you get more of it than I do. You've had some amazing guests. But it's a very different show. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's the thing is you, if you, if people listen to your show first, I yeah. think, I think they're pretty comfortable with how, what's, what's going to go down. Yeah. It's not like you just sit here throwing softballs, but you also don't. You're not here to interrogate anybody. No, and, and the or to make of, fun of them. Well, that's the weird thing. A couple of times that I did just by virtue of the guest, then people like, you know, I have Stiller on, right? And then people after the Stiller interview, they're like, "You went easy on him." I'm like, "It's Ben Stiller. I'm not. I'm it's not 60 minutes. You know what? What am I going to get out of? Like, when did you kill that man? Did you kill that? I mean, what am I going to do? 
It's fucking weird sometimes. Yeah, it is. But that's a great example. Ben Stiller would never come on my podcast. Why not? Because it's there's a live audience there, and I'm and I'll say dicky things if I if it gives me an opportunity to get a laugh. Right. You know, <laughs> like I I just go for it. I'm not gonna sit there and like be polite. Oh, so you think you'd hurt his feelings? Like he's his feelings are easily hurt. I know. I already, I started off on the wrong foot with him years many ago. years ago when when Judd and Janine introduced me to him. What happened? Uh, we just didn't we just didn't hit it off because he was you know more of a you know I've always thought he's very talented and very funny, but he's more of a actor than a com. Like he was hanging out with comedians, but he had the more of the sensitivity of an actor. So one night we were at Cantor's and I was like making stupid jokes about some movies that he was in. Yeah. The kinds of things I'd say on Doug Loves Movies. And Janine was like howling with laughter. Yeah. And at the end of the night, uh, I think Adam Sandler was there too. Adam and Judd were both like, yeah, you might want to be more careful around somebody like that. (laughs) You know, like, because... You know, Ben, for, I think for a while, didn't like me because of that incident. Well, the fuck, the thing we forget because of who we are, and, and, I, and I'm sure we both have it, is that there's just egos involved, and that nobody gets that big without having a fairly large size ego. I mean, you've talked about that with some of your guests. Like, sometimes you just hang on to hating somebody for no good reason, you know, just because you just, you just, didn't, you just didn't hit it off. Or they hurt and your then, feelings. It's sensitivity. Yeah, it's bruised, a sensitivity. Yeah. yeah, bruised ego. Yeah, and that's that's what happened to me with Ben. With Ben, and he's been super nice ever since. but yeah. not the kind of nice where I would expect him to be lining up to to be on the podcast. So this, but the, how did that? I mean, because that... opinions come out on my podcast. It's like yeah. Doug loves movies, and like people say, why do you call it that? And then all you do is sit around and talk shit about movies. And it's like, well, because I love them so much that every little imperfection gets on my nerves, and especially when something's well received like an avatar yeah it makes me nuts because i can you know to me it's the emperor's new clothes and i don't i don't see it i don't see what is so great about well, avatar the, well the, but, but do you ever have you ever had any situation where you know because your podcast that you know someone has as in the business because this is the tricky thing is being part of the business that we have to have a certain you know tongue-in-cheek you know uh respect for everybody who's in our industry but because our industry defines culture i mean there's just this fine line between you know making some you know good cultural criticism and hurting one of your pals you, you know i mean have you ever had a situation where somebody who has made a movie or somebody you know said you, you know you know fuck you Yep. Well, no, they have. That's the thing is they they often don't call you up or seek you out to say that thing hurt me. They just get hurt by it and then harbor it and then uh, treat you weirdly when you run into it. But somewhere. outside of Ben, you or you're just that. being paranoid and you think that's why they're treating you weirdly. You know, yeah, you, you just sure. don't. You just don't know. You don't know what's like when you run into somebody who's like a massive star. Like they, you know, it's a different experience for when I run into Adam, it's like, wow, there's Adam. That's exciting that Adam's there. Yeah. You know, and with him, it's like, there's Doug Benson. Yeah. That guy talks a lot of smack about people. Yeah. I, I was used to be friends with him, but now I don't know if I respect him anymore, but he smiles and says hello. Yeah. And then, and then that's it. Like, yeah. it's not like you have that feeling with him too. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Well, because also he he thinks I align myself with people who talk shit about him. Well, that's the other. You know thing. what I mean? Like people think me and Andy Kindler like skip to skip to the store together, you know, making jokes about people and then and then going out and sharing them with the world. And I like and admire Andy Kindler, but I don't agree with everything he says. Do you, sometimes, like I you know, sometimes with Andy, he's the, one of the funniest people I know. And then you're sort of like, dude, why? You, you, that's going to get you in trouble for no reason. <laughs> Right. Well, that's what that's my thing is like I, I've said to him a couple of times when he's been like on my interruption show, yeah. he'll say something like Tina Fey is bullshit. She's not funny. And I'll just be like, first of all, that's not funny. Like, there's no joke there. Yeah. And then secondly, why? 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 Like, yeah. I understand, like, I there's things that people that people think are great that I don't think is funny. Like, yeah. I've watched that show Modern Family and it yeah. doesn't make me laugh. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's a shit show. What, you know, that, or that I should go on stage and go, Modern Family doesn't make me laugh. Well, no, what's your, you got to have a take on it. You got to, you know, and Andy usually does. But yeah. I think sometimes he just gets, you know, he's, he's so talented and yeah. so misunderstood. Yeah. And so not as famous as he should be. Right. That that can, that all of that can eat at you and make you, Bitter. you know, it can affect your opinions. No, I know. And that's, but that's the weird thing. I had to learn that too, that like, even if you don't appreciate something, you have to appreciate the work that's involved. And if the person is talented, just because what they're doing doesn't resonate with you, you, you don't need to be like out and out cruel because you, you uh, you're not where they are. 
Like, you know, there's plenty of comedy. Like, Modern Family, I don't watch it, but it seems like a lot of work goes into it, and, and people seem to enjoy the show. The cast is talented, uh, so I don't need to go. They're fucking assholes. But they keep calling it the new Arrested Development, and to me, it's just not it's not on that level. Well, I didn't quite get that show either. But well, see, there fine. you go. That's that's the thing is, you know, anything you can just not that's get, right, but, but you I also res- don't necessarily have to shit on exactly. it. Exactly. I respect Unless it seems people. like it's aggressively... Like that's that's why I want to shit on Avatar is because James Cameron is so confident that he's made a masterpiece. Well, no, and acts that way publicly. Something that pollutes the culture with with mediocrity and gets everybody excited. Like there's something to be said that if everybody likes something, there's got to be something fucking wrong with it on some level, unless it's ice cream. You know, I, I'm not. But there's a lot of different kinds of ice cream. But there's something about you know dumping a big you know shiny you know piece of shit on the people and then the people flock to it. Yeah, and even ice cream is bad for you. Right. <laughs> Even though it's perfect. <laughs> so you're saying that maybe you should only watch maybe small segments of Avatar. and just <laughs> Well, it come. certainly is amazing to look at. It yeah. looks looks incredible, but, I, you know, so, the stories. Do you ever feel that, like, you've been, you know, ostracized because of your fucking attitude? Or do you... I, I, I try not to think about that. I try to just do my thing and be friends with the people that want to be friends with me. And, and you know, and, and I don't try not to get too worked up about... You but know. you could if you let yourself. You have yeah, in your past. Yeah, I'm just, I'm not, I'm also like, if getting rich were more important to me, then I'd probably care more about, you know, playing the politics and being, you know, being friendlier with everybody. But I'm just not interested in that. I don't, you know, I don't have, a, I'm not going to have kids to pass the money to. Yeah, I feel, so, I feel so the same no, way. There's no real point. Like, you, you know, you've got a sweet setup here. I'd be happy with this if I were... Yeah, I well, I get panicking. I, pa- I get panicky about holding on to it, and it, like, yeah, I'm not about being rich. I'm about just like making a living and, mm-hmm. and knowing I can make a living. I'm okay with that, you know. But in terms of being political or, or being aware of of how these social networking works, you know, within the business, I'm the kind of guy that like, you know, I'll lock into it and I'll and I'll do it and I'll get to like, you know, level three, and that's where I'll shit on the floor. Like, <laughs> at some point, I'm gonna shit on the floor. Like, I got into the special room. This is a good place to pee. <laughs> Well, you know, I know you didn't want to tell the blender story, but let me just say from my perspective, when we were hanging out at Dave Rouse, I knew you and seen you around and we'd hung out and uh, there was no, there was no issues between us, but I was maybe, uh, you know, a little, always a little bit, uh, you know, from the second I first met you until more recently, in my mind, you've always been not only more successful than me, but also just you have a, a gift at being able to just get up in front of an audience and get it going and, and, and do really well. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> in a, but in a way that um, it was just unusual compared to most of my peers. Right. You know what I mean? Like, the thing I used to say about you, as you know, my snarky comment about Mark Marin was, oh, Mark's about to go on and he's going to tell it like it is. Because <laughs> to me, you're always kind of like more of like a hip professor that's like, dig this, man. Yeah, you yeah. know, and I'm sure you said dig this man on yeah, stage. I have. And um, to yeah. me, that was like, that wasn't my, and I've grown to appreciate that more. And that's what's great about this podcast is people are really getting to know you. Right. And I imagine when you go out on the road now, uh, it's an even, it's an even better experience for you because you don't have to win them over. It's starting to happen. But then yeah. I, then there's a whole other issue. The whole issue of like, they've heard this already. You know, that, that, that fear always fucking plagues me. Well, that's why I do. I'm trying to do a new record every year. Well, me and too. I've but- set a, a, a you know, planted a flag in the sand that I'm going to record it every year on April 20th because that's when I know I can get a, a you know a captive audience. And then, uh, so each year I have to just flush out all uh, you know all that old stuff and just get that new hour together. Well, that's what I've been doing. I you know I can't. I'm not like Louis. I can't say like you know I'm going to scrap the whole other hour and and start do not get me started about Louis C.K. Why? Because <laughs> <laughs> you know. there's not a person I love more and am more jealous of than him right now. Yeah. I, I, I'm fascinated by everything he does, his stand-up and his TV show, and it's totally aggravated that he that someone at FX said to him, hey, do you want to do a show? As long as you keep it in budget, you can do anything you want, and, and you know, you'll, have to, you'll have to get notes from standards and practices. You know, you'll have to bleep certain words. Right. But they basically just said, do what you want to do. Yeah. And now he does it. And, yeah. And that's unprecedented in television. Yeah. Everybody gets network notes and, and gets has to have discussions about every little aspect of their show, if you have a show. And it's so, like, the freedom that he had with that. And then 
the great work he did with it instead yeah. of just being like, oh, they gave me some money, so I've got some well, friends no, they, together they, and they, fucked they, around. Like, it's such a great show. Well, he's just one of those massively, you know, talented guys that, you know, they gambled on and, and you know, it paid off for him. And it, it is rare, but like in terms of his process, like I got to do a new CD. It's my fourth one. And, but what I'm saying is that like, I'm, I talk freely on the podcast, so things come out and then I start to sort of hone them a little bit and, and build them into, into routines. You know, so my fear is I get on stage and people are like, oh, this story. And I, I, I see that, but the story is going to be honed. Yeah, different. And, and different. And, and with an audience. And they probably, you know, let's face it, a lot of people probably listen very intently to podcasts, but a lot of people are also doing something while they're listening yeah, to and it. Yeah, and it's a completely different experience. It's just my so own insanity. Like, yeah, but you no, but your insanity is uh, stoked by the fact that people will come up to you and say, you said that on your podcast. Or, you know, they'll call you on things. Yeah. Like when I read tweets on stage, they'll be like, we already read your tweets. And I'm like, do you know how many people in this room sits and reads every one of my tweets and then remembers them? Everyone. Like these are funny jokes, yeah. you know, that, that make an audience laugh, you know, and I think it's, and I enjoy the laziness of it, just looking at my phone and reading them. Oh you know? yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, I've read shit off my phone yeah but also they what do they expect we're not machines anyways do i do okay when i do the interruption i always like i always i get more nervous about doing the interruption that not the tv show because i haven't been on that yet but i mean but uh but like when i do the live show do i do all right yeah and you're you know you're certainly on my list to to be on the tv show what's going as well. on with that how many have you done we shot six so there was like 18 slots and it, you know it was, it was between you know me and the production company and Comedy Central, we all kind of had our lists of comics, and we narrowed it down to you know the first eighteen. And there, but I, it worked out great for me because it was all people that I admire and that I'm friends with. Because that's what I do is I introduce every comic as and now here's my friend so and so. Yeah. Because I want the home viewer to be like not not watching it thinking oh this is a show where a guys a dick to people you know oh, of course it's yeah. like we're we're playing and having fun together. How has it all worked out? Yeah, well, you know, it's the show. It was a little wobbly at first, and then it got, you know, got better each each time we did a taping. It, it would come together better. You know, there were little lessons that needed to be learned here and there. Yeah, and I'm I'm pretty happy with it, and people seem to enjoy watching it. But, you know, I don't know what's going to happen next. We got to just wait to see. That's if, a, if they want to make more, but if they want to make more, I would love to have you on because it's fun to have you on because your act is already pretty conversational. We end up just talking, kind of. <laughs> yeah, and that's <laughs> and that's fine. And especially for the TV tapings, we do like twenty minutes with each comic, and, for then we, six? and then we have to whittle it down to five or six. Yeah, so that gets a little frustrating because I'm kind of having to pick and choose, you know, sit in an edit bay and decide which bits my friend is going to say on the TV show and which ones are going to end up being cut. Yeah, and so that's that's kind of a weird experience but everybody's been cool and one thing that i've really appreciated is no comics have come up to me and said like how come i haven't been on except me you just know saying. but you didn't say how come i haven't been on you just said i haven't been on yeah and we both know that's true but you didn't confront, you didn't confront me about it no i mean look i you know i i i, I know that you know we you, it would be fun to do, but it wouldn't change your life in any way. No, no, I, you it's know, not a big paycheck no, no, or a big exposure. Or I've been festered about it, and you know, and I, I'd like <laughs> to do it. You know, but like honestly, when I do that show with you live, the the great thing about you is that you're all you're so fucking quick, and you you know, like it was it's one of those things about like doing a talk show. Sometimes you know, I'll drive things into the ground. You know, not by repetition, but just sort of like I'll hope there's a joke at the end, and then it doesn't happen. But you're always pretty reliable. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna at least you know not say something stuff. snotty at the end and get a laugh <laughs> exactly but uh but so I, i'm not resenting you i'm a little i'm a little i'm a little uptight i really wanted i, I don't understand why why uh conan hasn't had me on but that's another issue you know it's like a loyal. well he's been having interesting choices so far well, i think they want new guys and, and, and but also it's been there's been a variety aspect to the stand-up that's true yes you know, so acty you know john door john uh, door had watts. rain come down on him reggie watts had what the is, whole band behind him and brendan did what did walsh do anything i don't know he probably just had a crazy beard yeah that, <laughs> that beard prop i haven't seen his set yet but uh i heard he was on it and i want to see it because he's he's one of my favorites i like that guy he's a funny guy but now your folks are they still around my mom is. And how does she feel about where you're at in your career and, and super high me and this and that? She she likes it. Like the my dad was alive when I did the marijuana logs and both my parents were like that's when they found out I smoked pot. Really? Yeah. They didn't know oh till then. Oh my god. 
Yeah. So I had to like, I basically wrote them a letter. Hey, I'm going to New York. I'm moving to New York for a period of time because we were putting on an off-Broadway show. <laughs> so it was like, and, and they're like, oh, what is it? You know, it's the marijuana logs. And they were like, oh, okay. And they've never really, we never really had a conversation about whether I smoke or not. They just know that I talk about it a lot in my act and in, in these plays and movies and stuff. Uh-huh. And so it's just sort of like, it's so bizarre because I went to see my mom for Thanksgiving and we didn't, she, she does, she never says anything about it. She's just sort of like, okay, that's just something he does and seems to be getting him some, yeah, you <laughs> getting him some success so because they, of it. So she doesn't, and like, you know, she doesn't notice in the Benson interruption animated opening that I've read eyes. Like she doesn't notice stuff like that because she's, you know. That's so weird. So it just sort of goes unspoken, <laughs> and you don't you don't feel like it. Yeah. We've never had one conversation about like she, she's never even said like well so how much do you smoke or you know or is this just an act or yeah. she's never questioned anything about it. How much do you smoke? All the time. Yeah. 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 Wake up. Yeah, I have a, a vaporizer in my kitchen. Yeah, and I fire that thing up whenever I'm at home. And have, have you ever been too high to work? Mm-mm. I've been. I've sometimes I've freaked out a little bit. Like, how's that? I've told this story before. One time I was too high to do a corporate gig where I had to host a battle of the bands (laughs) between Vanilla Ice, Sugar Hill Gang, uh, Thomas Dolby, Uh, uh, and uh, two other uh, act, Tiffany, and uh, and there was one, oh, Tone Loke. Yeah. See, I remembered all five. That's good. Yeah. But I was crazy baked when I had to host it, and there was all these... It was like this party for a company that had that was trying some new texting thing. So everybody at the party were told they were told on their phones to vote for those five acts. And yeah. each of those acts came out and I hosted. And every time I came out, the audience would just talk amongst themselves and fuck with their phones. Yeah. And I was just so high, I just like could not appreciate the experience at all. I was just like <laughs> I couldn't t- you know, I couldn't strike up a conversation with Vanilla Ice or Tone Loke even though these people are around and and it was really fun to hear them all play you know and they all just played two songs so they all played their hit and their follow up yeah and uh, and um, and Vanilla Ice won he won the won the uh, the contest but it was uh, I was too high to, to deal with it I, I probably would have been too, it would have been difficult to deal with not high well that's the other thing is I'm just bad at that kind of stuff like I don't yeah. I don't that's what I love about my podcast is I, I'm a terrible host but it's my podcast so I, I can fuck up things all, all I want and we just sort of send it out there and then people listen to it the marijuana logs now do you like is that published as a play it's a, there's a book where we had to write a lot of extra material because just the play wasn't enough to fill a book but I mean c- could you tour like uh, the caveman I mean, could you get other comics? I mean, I know other people have been in and out of the roles, not unlike the vagina monologues, but I guarantee you events where it makes a fucking buck every time it's played anywhere. Yeah, there's they do shows of it, and then it's also like uh, community theaters and like uh, other, you know, groups in other countries have done it. Like they just, you can just, do you, li- get money? you can license the rights. It's, it's It doesn't end up to be much. Oh. Ari Shafir says, uh, has you, have you ever met anyone with a bigger tolerance than you? Yeah. <laughs> I have. <laughs> no one's going to mention names. <laughs> No, uh, I, you know, there's lots of people that have a huge tolerance. Like, the, to me, like, we mentioned him earlier, Greg Proops is amazing how I, smart I, he you, is. I have no fucking idea how he does that. I mean, even when I smoked pot, I was fucking retarded. I've seen you fairly retarded before. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I'd get, like, completely disjointed. And, and Proops would get me high to make me disjointed. I don't know how he fires on all those cylinders with that amount of pot in him. Well, he, I think he generally smokes after his show, but still... And all day, but you know what I mean? I don't think he p- takes a puff right before he goes on, but he can, and, he, and he's still hilarious. All right, so... What have we learned here today? We've learned a lot of things. I, I feel like we've, uh, you know, I, I got to know you better. I like all the stories about going to tapings, and I like their talk about uh, other comics and uh, resentment. I like that stuff. Yeah, me too. I like, you know, I, I don't have the time to listen to lots of podcasts, but I've I've listened to, you know, several of yours all the way through. Because that you make you know it's an interesting conversation, like because it's it's inside, but it's not uh, you know anyone can listen to right. it and, and isn't not, it weird not feel left out or whatever. But isn't it weird? Like I mean, I talked to you this longest time. We've this is the longest amount of time we've ever talked about anything ever, and in, in the twenty some odd years we've known each other. And I, I find that like sometimes when I talk to people here, even though I've known them a long time, uh, I've never had a conversation with them. So I have to assume that when somebody like you or another comic listens to it. You're like, I know that guy. And then you're like, holy shit, I never knew that. Do you- <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's just, you know, there's a narcissistic part of it, too, where you're sitting there waiting for your name to come up or, you know, because 
because it's uh, it's all people you know, and you never know when they're going to tell a story. But but uh, yeah, and that's what I didn't get to earlier: the blender thing. Oh yeah. At that time in our relationship, as friends or colleagues or acquaintances, I when when I was in the kitchen and I turned on the blender and I screamed my hand, and then you laughed and told me how funny you thought it was. Yeah. I thought you were fucking with me. <laughs> I thought you were, I thought it was like, ha ha, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard after yeah. I told some, you know, after I said some lame thing that didn't make any, because no one else laughed. You were the only one that laughed. I think I might have been the only one who registered it. And, I mean, then, and then when you bring it up every time I see you, I'm like, is he still fucking with me? Like it's, and then eventually I grew to understand that you well, there genuinely just, thought that was funny and have always appreciated it. Well, the, what the weird thing was is that like there were moments in, in comedy and in life that were, were something, the timing of it, it, like it was just the timing of it that was just ridiculous. I don't know why we are I'd been up all night. I remember I showed up there with Rhodes or somebody and you guys were all like, you know, riding bikes into pools, making margaritas. And it was just like the air was sort of empty and you just hear this blender and you just like out of my hand. And it was just a beat. And it, it just like, there were moments like that in my life where I remember I just laughed my ass off. <laughs> I can't get it out of my head. Well, I'm glad that I, so it was a genuine, that, that brought you so much pleasure and that we also bring it up every came time. to an understanding. Yeah, finally about it. And I always wonder why you like hated every time I brought it up is because you thought I was fucking with you. Well that, and, but then when I once, even once I realized you weren't fucking with me anymore, then it just became no one else thinks it's funny. Like, Kara Kilgariff always has this thing that whenever she's she's around me in a comedy situation and a microphone, she'll yeah. tell, I remember this one time Doug Benson yeah. said this, and it doesn't make anybody laugh, so it always makes me cringe that, like, she's oh. quoting me, and then it's not, it doesn't make anybody but her laugh, because it just hit her a certain way. Well, that was such a timing thing. It's not the kind of joke that you could read on paper. I couldn't write that down. Well, that's say, what I mean. That's why I was always like, why are you bringing it up? Because it just... because it's not going to make anybody laugh now. All right. Because you had to be there. All right. Well, I think we've got closure on it. I won't bring it up anymore. But it was a great moment. It's going to come up again. All right. Thanks, man. Well, I think that's a little more insight into Doug Benson than I I had any idea about. It was a nice chat. And you know what? Doug's a great guy. He's always been a good guy, and he's always been a funny guy. And I'm glad he stopped by the garage to talk to me. I don't know if you know this, but we got these uh, new T-shirts, American Apparel T-shirts, that you can get at uh, WTFPod.com under the merch section. Nice, pretty, new American Apparel T-shirt in more sizes, and uh, I'm not shipping them out of the garage anymore so they don't smell like cats or coffee or my garage. You can also, at WTFPod, you know, kick in a few shekels. We, we are a listener-supported operation. You can also go to the link for JustCoffee.coop. Get yourself a deal on that. If you get the WTF blend, I get a little bit of a little bit of jack for that. So uh, keep that in mind. Good stuff. Good coffee. PunchlineMagazine.com. The top 10 comedy CDs for the year are listed up there. So check that out. Thank you for listening. Oh, God. I'm drained. Thanks again for coming out. I'll, I'll, I'll be, I don't know. I'll be peppier. I don't know. I'll talk to you Thursday. Thursday.